Hello and welcome to the Lupus Ontario podcast. I'm your host, Brent Leonard. As you perhaps know, the month of May is Lupus Awareness Month, and May 10th has been proclaimed as Lupus Awareness Day in Ontario and World Lupus Day internationally. Throughout the month of May, stay tuned to our social media for announcements and events taking place in the month. As well, on May 19th, Lupus Ontario will be opening up registration for our virtual lupus symposium taking place later this year on October 22nd. Be sure to register for this free virtual event bringing together leaders in medicine, research, health tech, and even policy to further support the community we care so deeply about. Now, for today's podcast, we have a special guest with us sharing her lupus story. Rupi discusses her diagnosis at a young age with lupus, the complications that arose, and the importance of having a support network. We talk about how she satisfied her natural curiosity to learn about lupus and how her journey helped shape where she is at today. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Rupi. Hello, Rupi. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Brent. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much for joining me. For our listeners, I was wondering if you could provide a little bit of background information before we dive in to speak about your lupus journey. And could you perhaps tell us how long ago you were diagnosed with lupus and kind of what you're doing today after having that diagnosis and lived with it? Yeah, for sure. So it's been a while since I was diagnosed with lupus. Um, So I'm 23 years old uh, right now, and I was diagnosed when I was 11. So it's been 12 years of uh, living with lupus. And I remember being, I mean, I was in grade four at the time, so very young. And I was getting a lot of a lot of the common early symptoms of lupus. At the time, obviously, I didn't know. So I had the butterfly rash. I had this headache on one side specifically. I also had a lot of nosebleeds and ulcers in my mouth. I remember distinctly and uh, just incredible exhaustion as well. And I was on top of that, having a lot of inflammation in my joints. So the joints that were specifically affected were my fingers and my knees and my ankles. So those were the three that I remember um, that were, you know, it was was hard to walk. Uh, So in the mornings, I would have to take about 10 minutes just to just to get up and, and, you know, feel comfortable enough to stand and then uh, start walking. So this kind of happened for probably about six months on and off. And it got to a point where I started coughing a lot and I had really bad chest pains. And uh, then I had this wheezing cough. And I remember we were in and out of the doctor's office. They, they had told me I had asthma at the time. And, um, you know, I, I just, we went home with a puffer. I was, it was this wheezing cough. I couldn't breathe and went back to the, to the doctors. And another doctor t- took a listen at my chest and um, realized that there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of fluid in my lung. So that would have been my left lung. Um, so I would have been, yeah, 11 at the time Wow. still. And we went to the hospital directly after I remember taking a look at the x-ray just because I, I took a peep at the, the chest x-ray that they did. So I was very curious from an early age. I think that's why I'm very, um, you know, 
very good for the the career that I'm currently in, which is, you know, science and research. So uh, I remember taking a look and there was, uh, you know, my, my lung was, was so small. It had been, so I guess the, the cavity was filled with uh, fluid. And so it was, it was quite small, my left lung. And then they, they took me to McMaster Hospital. And that was sort of, so from Georgetown Hospital to McMaster Hospital, I, I traveled that night in the ambulance. And that was when the procedure to uh, drain the liquid from my, my lung. And then from there was when the diagnosis kind of unfolded. I was there for 11 days. And, and yeah, that's when a, a lot of tests were run and the diagnosis was, was um, yeah. That's a, that's a lot to go through when, when you're 11. So yes. <laughs> pick, picking up on that, from that actually, so when your f- symptoms first started, how long did it take for you to get the, the butterfly rash? Was it one of the first symptoms or did it take a little bit longer to develop? Was it more of the inflammation in the joints first? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a bit hazy. Um, you know, my memory from, from them, then I think I've sort of been able to manage and cope because I point things that I want to remember. So if I remember, or I can try to remember it, it was the joints that flared first. So I had a lot of swelling before I had the butterfly rash. I remember getting the headaches first. So headaches first, ulcers, nosebleeds. And then, um, I had the swelling and the butterfly rash came in at the end. So this is all like, you know, was sort of piled on top of having, you know, the swelling as well. So it wasn't like one thing would stop and another would would stop. It was sort of all in in one, but I remember the butterfly rash um, sort of towards the end of my symptoms. Which, which is kind of that telltale sign that, that if you have lupus, a diagnostician might look for and say, oh, okay, you have this rash. And then it's, a, it's an easier, perhaps, path to diagnosis than going from symptom to symptom to symptom and then maybe getting the rash. So it's, it's complicated. Lupus, is, lupus wears so many faces in, it, in its journey to be diagnosed and having that rash or not having that rash, but even having it come at the end of your, your symptom progression can really make it difficult and, and, and exacerbate the journey that you go through. Yes, definitely. I, I know after, after reading up a little bit about lupus, because like I, I mentioned to you before, Brent, I don't really like to look into my condition too much. So when I did, after, you know, being diagnosed and being like, oh, what, what is this? And I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. Let's you know, read up about it a bit. I remember the first thing that would pop up is the butterfly rash. So, um, you know, it, like you said, it was like the, the sign, oh, okay, this is lupus. But, uh, you know, it wasn't one of those things that came up straight away for me. It was, mm. there were a series of other symptoms before I had the butterfly rash. Do you recall by any chance how long it took you to actually get a firm diagnosis of lupus? So, so once I was in the hospital, I spent 10 or 11 days at McMaster Children's Hospital where there were, you know, a series of amazing nurses. I I must say I've been sort of in and out of hospitals since, not not that much, but, you know, I have been. And sometimes you don't get a great nurse and I think it makes all the difference. Doctors are one thing, right? They they come in and they they come in at the end and they sort of give the diagnosis or they tell you what's up and then they leave or they prescribe some meds, right? But the nurses are there with you constantly. They're sort of checking in every hour or so. So it's really important that you have a good one (laughs) or a good few because they kind of do shift work, right? 
I, I remember there were a series of great nurses. I remember one nurse, her name was Bliss. And so all these years later, I remember her. If she's listening, I, I you know, want to give her a shout out because she was amazing. And, um, you know, really made my time there, time there, like, nice. And I was very scared, obviously. So she was very, kind of had like a motherly, calming nature around, uh, surrounding her. I, I think that it would probably have been about the fourth day I was diagnosed with lupus, like kind of like mid, mid, you know, the time frame. So maybe the, the fourth to the sixth day that I was diagnosed. And I was diagnosed by um, Dr. Peter Dent, who's an amazing rheumatologist. He was my very first pediatric rheumatologist. Yeah, amazing. Doctors, you know, the words really affect patients. And I, and I think that most know this. And, and I was lucky enough to, to be with uh, an amazing doctor from the start of my uh, my diagnosis. It, it, you're right. Having the right nurses, the right doctors, the right healthcare professionals around you can really kind of make or break the journey in a sense. It can make it easier, even if you're having really difficult symptoms, if you have someone that you know you can trust and you can talk to and is going to take your your comments seriously into heart and and work to kind of comfort you as well as address the symptoms that can really go a long way to easing the journey. Mm-hmm, definitely. It, it's interesting um, when you speak of kind of the curious nature that you have and wanting to know kind of just the right amount about the disease, but not diving in to the details to kind of go to some of the more, I guess, darker places that lupus could potentially go depending on, on the path it may take and the organs that may be involved. How do you kind of balance that curiosity with knowing just enough that it doesn't cause stress, which on its own can even cause a flare of lupus? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good question. Um, it's it sort of, you know, it, well, what happens is I have sort of a question about, oh, you know, this is one I had recently. Will I be able to have kids? Because I just started thinking about the future and I was like, oh, let me see. And then I went in and I, and I took a look and, you know, there were so many conflicting messages about this. <laughs> and so it was like one, you know, one patient was saying, yes, I've, I've you know, been living with lupus for 20 years and, and I have three kids. And then one was saying, no, I, it's too difficult. I couldn't get pregnant. Da, 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 da. And so I was like, oh God, why well, never? Because it's something that, you know, I, I mean, times have changed and people have changed right um it's not some there's not a lot of people now that as many as there were in the past that want to have kids and that Mm -hmm. is that is true you know that is that is actually a fact but it's always something that sort of we think of as like a lot of people think oh I I will have kids it's sort of like the, the society is molded people in a certain way like I will have, I will get married and I'll have kids. Exactly. So it was sort of just natural for me to sort of look up and see, oh, will this happen? And, um, and then to kind of have all this conflicting, uh, these, these conflicting thoughts that I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, well, um, I'm gonna, I don't know. I don't have an answer. And that's when I stopped. So I sort of did a brief look through everything. And then I stopped looking through because I didn't want to see or read anything else and then I emailed my doctor about it and then my doctor said don't worry about this it will be like you know this is something down the line and there there shouldn't be a reason why you can't so that's what I needed to hear 
Yeah. And that exactly. was, but, but that's not something that we need to, that's not something that we need to think about right now. It's sort of what, what the, um, the doctor's explanation was. And I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. So I just needed someone to ease my mind and just say, okay, you know what, you're, you're, you're reaching right now. And that's not something that we need to, we need to, you know, concern ourselves with right now from my patients that I have, it has been possible. So the data suggests that it is possible to have kids. Now, there's a number of things that could go wrong. There's a number of things that could happen. And I'm aware of this, but I don't, I don't think about it. Um, and, and that's how I, you know, stay happy and, and sane is I don't think about all the number of things that could go wrong because with a normal person, a number of things go wrong as well. Exactly. So, so it's sort of, it's a back and forth and there's a lot going on in my mind. Um, but it is a back and forth of things could go wrong. So many things could happen in the next year that aren't related to my condition, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just, I, I can't put so much emphasis just solely on my condition and how it's going to affect my, my life in the future because it, it becomes, it, it's too difficult to do that. So. Exactly. And you, you have a very precise approach, which I think is really beneficial. So if you have a question, Try to find the answer for that. Maybe don't go down the rabbit holes, that conflicting uh, comments or, or advice from other people may, may bring you toward and, and seek your professional advice for, for your individual situation. Because a lot of what you've mentioned, too, about, about trying to do your own research and finding those conflicting comments also really speaks to that marauding nature of, of lupus, where it's going to impact one person one way, the next person completely different and it doesn't yeah. necessarily follow a consistent path. So it's, it's great advice to do your own research as you, as you did and you mentioned and you described, but also if you're starting to hit that wall and go down those, those pathways of conflicting stories, just to reach out to your own medical professional and, and get their guidance because your individual approach and your individual journey is going to be completely different than somebody else with the same illness. Exactly. I think that's a really um, good point that you bring up. And that's kind of how I continue to, to sort of, you know, go day by day and, and, and live a life with lupus. But another thing I did forget to mention is the support that I have from my family. Uh, I have a lot of support. So when I find myself going sort of down this, you know, this rabbit hole, so to speak, it's something I just call my sister up. We're very close. I'll call my dad. I call my mom. I feel so much better afterwards. So much better because they were with me, you know, from the start of the diagnosis. We're very close and they've been a tremendous support in my life, especially with, you know, this condition. And there's a lot of things that I've had to, they've had to see that I've gone through and stuff. And, um, you know, I'm the youngest as well. So there's, they're, they're very sort of protective over me and stuff. And uh, yeah, like the other day I called up my dad and I had some, some thoughts and some worries and he's like, you know, you need to stop thinking like this. You look at, you're killing it. You're doing so well. Like, and sometimes I just need to hear that. I need to hear that sort of, okay, I'm doing well. I, I'm, I'm healthy. I feel great. I, you know, I, my lupus is very quiet. I'm, you know, I'm doing the most I can. I'm living a healthy life. Uh, I'm trying to eat well. I'm trying to exercise. I'm trying to drink water, you know, because that's something <laughs> everyone always forgets. Exactly. So, 
the the support from the family is is sort of my number one support system for sure definitely you have to have that support system for any chronic disease or any illness you need to have people you can trust you can talk to uh and just open up to and without that support network it can be very tough to get through certain times in a, in a disease so the fact that you're a close-knit family and and you're all there for each other i think that speaks volumes to helping somebody through the journey because as the person with a diagnosis obviously you go through the journey but it's something that impacts the whole family and especially when it's a young child who gets diagnosed it can have an immense impact on the family unit so that's in, it's it's incredible that that everyone can pull together and, and be a cohesive team and get mm-hmm. each other through it. Yes, definitely. And they know exactly what to say and they, you know, and they focus on the positives. Kind of moving through the years from your diagnosis to a little bit closer to more present time. What kind of flare-ups have you had? Have you had a lot of flare-ups? Have they been kind of manageable with perhaps some relaxation and and kind of um, stealth medication in a way that you can relax or kind of clear your mind and and deal with your symptoms that way or have they had to be dealt with with medical interventions yeah um so so about a year after i was diagnosed with lupus like sle i started getting some pain in my back lower back and then some some blood in my urine as well so that was kind of an indicator of nephritis like lupus mm-hmm. nephritis so uh that was uh, you know i had to go back in and then i got uh not a rheumatologist sorry a nephrologist i gotta keep track of all the types of doctors <laughs> and uh i was with him for about i would say three years and uh wasn't really uh, wasn't really doing well under his care i think there was a lot of things that were sort of going amiss and uh uh, a lot of things that weren't controlled. So, so the, the lupus nephritis part of my lupus wasn't wasn't under control. So, ended up having to leave that doctor and then going to another doctor, Doctor Belostovsky, uh, my new pediatric nephrologist, and uh, we went through about a six month treatment when I was in grade ten for uh, I believe the the drug is called cyclophosphamide and this drug is quite harsh uh, but it's it was once like a once a day for six months so it was 12 hours in the hospital getting this you know this infusion of cyclophosphamide and it was really really beneficial to me uh, in the long run after that round of treatment for six months I I was under a lot better control and I was feeling really good and uh, I was sort of getting back to to normal so before it was really difficult for me to like run long periods of time and I was all constantly getting this you know this puffiness in my face and puffiness Mm -hmm. in my ankles and just not feeling good you know and I'm pretty active so I would play volleyball and and golf and ski in the winter so it was hard for me to keep up and then um you know my my the nephritis wasn't under control for the longest time but after this this treatment 
it really became apparent that I was like feeling so much better after it. So even though it was tough to go through, once again, have my dad there with me every single treatment, he would be watching something on his, you know, his iPad or something. And I'd be like, you know, hooked up to, to all these, uh, <laughs> all these uh, tubes and stuff. It was, it was good though. It was, it was good in the long run. You mentioned interesting there, uh, you, you're active, you, you enjoy golf, skiing. Mm-hmm. Are you able to partake in those activities now today? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I golf all the time and I also like to ski in the winter with my sister and I don't play volleyball as much anymore just because I'm not in like a, a, a league anymore. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to get a group of girls or a co-ed league together, especially when everyone's so busy. But uh, yeah, if, if I have a volleyball and sometimes I'll just play in the back with my sister. So it's, it's, it's great. You mentioned early on in the conversation that uh, you have this curious nature and whether or not that had kind of propelled you to where you are today in terms of academics and your career path. Could you speak a little bit about where you are at today, uh, what you're studying, kind of what your trajectory with your career and so on uh, might look like and where you want to end up? Yeah. um, Yeah. So I've always been, you know, interested um in science i've always asked questions been pretty curious so when i started university you know i was in science uh, just kind of uh you know along with 700 other kids i was <laughs> also in science and then um i was the president of my school as well and i was you know, tutoring on the side. I was going to night school on top of, you know, rehearsals and, you know, won a couple of awards at the end of high school as well. So incredibly active and always striving to be the best. But yeah, always interested in science. Uh, You know, uh, I decided to go into chemistry in my second year. Honestly, it wasn't because I enjoyed chemistry more. It was just because I didn't like physics and I didn't like biology. (laughs) The lesser of three evils kind of Exactly, (laughs) exactly. But I've got a few of my friends um, in chemistry and and we all, uh, we're a very small group. We all help each other constantly, which I loved. And then third year, fourth year went by and I'm like, okay, took another year with COVID and everything and decided that master's was kind of my way to go and I would like to do some more research. I was given the opportunity to work with um, an amazing supervisor, Dr. Yolanda Hedberg. The way she treats her students and the way she works with everyone is really amazing. I think that she is, um, she knows exactly how to, how to sort of lead a team and uh, she, she provides a lot of opportunities for everyone too and she focuses in on um, toxic metal chemistry, corrosion chemistry, uh, you know, a lot of sort of biomaterial applications. And so I thought this would be interesting for me because it's, it works with the human body, works with the environment and how, you know, things in our lives is actually quite toxic over time. And that's my specific area of research is um, how leather and uh, certain tan tanning of leather can be um you know bad for for health in the future so for individuals exposed to it in the future i think that i'm in a really good spot right now to pursue the interest that i have for for science it certainly sounds like you have an incredibly positive way of approaching 
not just lupus, but your academics and kind of life in general, uh, your curious nature really seems to serve you well there. And you know uh, when to kind of veer off from a path that maybe isn't helpful and, and seek advice and, and guidance from professionals uh, when it comes to lupus in particular. So I find your approach to be really kind of beautiful in a way because you're fostering that curiosity that you have and and seeking your your own answers, but at the same time, you know, making sure that the answers you're getting are right for you. And I think that's a valuable lesson for anybody, uh, whether it be in academia or dealing with a with an illness. Before we go, is there anything that you'd like to let people know in terms of, you know, helpful insights or tips that you've discovered along the way dealing with your illness or even with academics? If there's students out there listening to us. Uh, any guidance that has served you well in your academic journey that may serve others well also? So I think it's really important for everyone, not just people living with lupus or any sort of autoimmune condition, to take time for themselves. And I know that everyone says this, but I really think it's important because I never used to do this in high school. You know, once I started doing it, I noticed a world of difference. So I was much more energetic, much more happy, and just able to really, you know, tick off everything on my to-do list. And so I think it's really important that, you know, whether it's through meditation or yoga, I do a lot of yoga. I find that's very helpful for the mind and the body. I think that's it, kind of what I have. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a recurring theme, right? And I think it's one that people are getting a little bit more used to perhaps, and maybe a little bit more comfortable with, and that is mental health and making sure that you you have the tools mentally to deal with whatever's coming your way. And I think that's a valuable lesson as well, and, and certainly a great mention, because it's still something that people feel there's a stigma attached to, uh, but you don't even have to be going through uh, a difficult time in order to reach out to a mental health professional. You can reach out to someone at any point in time mm-hmm. and in a way be proactive and, and prevent even... Um, the journey down a darker path, depending on what your own individual situation may be. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I think it is valuable advice and insight. And I think it's something that people should really take to heart um, and and seek advice and and assistance, whether you're going through a difficult time or not, because it can have so many different beneficial elements to it. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's definitely getting better. Uh, the whole stigma around it like you said but very important because the stress is the biggest cause of flare-ups so yeah it's important to uh to understand that you know you have things out there such as counseling to to help mediate that take advantage of all the tools and resources that are available Mm -hmm. definitely Well, Ruby, I'd like to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me and also for the reminder as well for everybody that dealing with a chronic illness, it doesn't have to be something that uh, necessarily is life-limiting or ambition-limiting for sure and for sharing your your positive way of of approaching it and seeking answers and even kind of the way you you go about managing your life and your academics. I think it was very inspirational and I, I hope that people can garner a number of lessons from the conversation uh, as I found it very beneficial and, and fascinating. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much for uh, 
for the lovely words as well, Brent. I, I kind of just, you know, live my life. And it's so nice that you're you're saying all these nice things. So I do appreciate you having me on this uh, this podcast. It's com- completely my pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. People, uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, you're, you're living your life, but it, it's a life where I think a lot of people can benefit from the lessons. And everybody has a story to tell and everybody can provide lessons. And I think that that's part of, uh, the reason why we wanted to do this podcast as well is to get out as many different perspectives as we could about lupus and disease and resources that are available to people so that they know just because they don't fit in the mold of, of one person's journey doesn't mean there isn't a mold for them and there aren't resources there for them. And I think that you bring that perspective. So again, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation. Again, please be sure to register on May 19th for the Virtual Lupus Symposium taking place on October 22nd. And be sure to let us know what topics you would like to see covered as part of the symposium content. Please email us at our new email address, media at lupusontario.org. See you soon.